This is our second uh, sermon this morning, in, or not the second one this morning, we're up to our second sermon in, uh, in the subtle art of living well. Uh, please open your Bibles to James, uh, chapter 1, and this morning we're going to be talking about corruption. Uh, I hate corruption. I hate corruption in billion-dollar business. I hate hearing about uh, corruption within the power of politics uh, or in policing. I hate hearing about the manipulation of uh, the legal system, the must-win attitude of sport. I hate hearing of organisations that have been set up to provide for vulnerable people but benefit its directors the most. I hate mismanagement of our natural resources. And what stirs me up the most is corruption in the church. You and I know too many sad stories of church corruption. Misuse of leadership positions to make money, angry church leaders, immoral pastors, abuse of congregation members and cover-ups when that is found out. Earlier this week, with this sermon topic ahead, I started to notice the articles that were coming into my news feed early in the week, had realised that I had three articles in three days about three separate churches on three separate continents about moral corruption in those churches. Then without going looking for it, I still kept a tally uh, through the week such that six days on, I have now received articles about seven churches this week of church leaders who have had to be dismissed of where police have been called in, where the church organisation has been disbanded. Now we're talking about local churches here in Canberra, we're talking about churches that are far away. Some of them are small churches, some of them are large churches. Some of them are conservative theologically, some of them are reformed, some of them are evangelical, some of them are liberal, some of them are Pentecostal, some of them are Roman Catholic. Religion corrupts. Religion is easily corrupted and this next section of James that we're reading today exposes religious corruption. James really is an exposing part of the Bible. While we'll come across many pearls of wisdom here that we will will know and that we'll be uh, drawn to and we'll come across uh, parts of James that we find wonderfully comforting like last week, the comfort of persevering through trials, knowing that God is working out His good purposes in us and among us. Well, a passage like today is one of discomfort. It's unsettling. Because as we read it, we are not going to hold up a magnifying glass to scrutinise others, but hold up a mirror to ourselves. James is concerned for every believer. James 
is concerned for you and I. This is written down for you and I. We are reading this this morning so that we might humbly look at ourselves. And what James is concerned for is that there is no divorce. No divorce between belief and behaviour. That there is no separation between what we know and what we do. And as we work out this this morning, we will keep going along this path in the subtle art of living well. So let's to read together from James chapter 1, verse 19. James chapter 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now something to notice uh, here in these verses that might sound a little bit strange to our ears is James' use of the word religion verses 26 and 27. Religion today is often seen as a somewhat a negative thing, a, a, a mere ceremony or, a, or a, something that might explain a world view or a, an organisation that we are part of. Even perhaps by us, we might see uh, the word religion in a more negative kind of way. We might want to be saying rightly so, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Christianity is a relationship with with God through Jesus and a relationship with other believers as brothers and sisters. James here is very positive about the word religion because what James means by the word religion is simply belief lived out. The doing of what you believe, the working out of your faith. 
we could say, like we have been all along about wisdom, for James, religion is the subtle art of living well. It's the doing of what you believe. Yet when James looks out on believers round about him and when James holds up the mirror to his own life and behaviour, he will warn us about three ways in which religion, good religion, is corrupted by us. And the first one we see in verses 19 to 21 is that religion is corrupt when we fail to listen to God's Word. So much of what we see and read in James, what he writes down for us, is, is so obvious. And I come from bit to bit and go, I know that. I know that, yet I need to keep hearing it and taking it in. As James says in verse 19, follow along again with me please. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James here echoes what other wise people have observed and said. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 19 says, Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Chapter 17 verse 28, Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Chapter 29, verse 20. Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for them. And Mark Twain, not an inspired writer of Scripture, and we're not actually sure whether Mark Twain said this or someone else, but it's so true. It is better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. We know this, don't we? Too many of us talk more than we listen, speak without thinking, and anger flows out of our mouths like a burst water main. Why do we do it? Well, this is where James speaks life-giving wisdom with a Jesus-centred worldview. We do it because... We've got a gardening problem. Verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. We've got a gardening problem. The reason all this goes on is because we're not sowing God's word deep into our lives. This is the word that gave us new birth, verse 18. The word that brought us from death to life. That word needs to keep sprouting. So you and I have got to keep weeding out of our lives what does not belong there. Unrighteousness, moral filth, evil... Without weeding it out, those weeds will only grow into bigger and thicker 
weeds of unrighteousness. Let's make this really practical in just a couple of areas. If you count your dollars twice as often as you count your blessings, you'll grow weeds of greed. If you look at what you don't have twice as often as gratefully enjoying what you do have, you'll grow weeds of envy. If you look at pornography rather than the beauty of a spouse that God has given in his good time, you'll grow weeds of lust. If you speak words of haste and frustration rather than thoughtful words of love and peace, you will grow into your life weeds of anger and conflict. You and I need to keep weeding out of our lives with God's help by His Spirit and His Word, weeding out what is unrighteous. And by doing so, be humbly filling our lives with the righteous perspective of God's Word. This is James' first warning for us. Our religion is corrupt when we fail to listen to God's Word. His second warning is that religion is corrupt when we fail to do God's Word. I was teaching at a ministry conference in January and I was introduced to the conference by an old friend as an ultra-marathon runner. I ran an ultra-marathon four years ago almost to the day. And like when I say ran, I jogged most of it and walked some of it. Uh, And since then, I have certainly not run an ultramarathon. I've barely done 10 park runs in the last four years. Uh, I don't own any running shoes that don't have holes in them. I don't think I qualify right now as an ultra-marathon runner. To do so, I would have to do running, do ultra-marathon running. It's exactly the same with Christian living. James tells it like this, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Notice here the word, the phrase, perfect law. Perfect law that gives freedom. Usually when we think about laws and rules, they are something that restrict us. 
something that limit us, something that uh, bind us. The laws of cricket say what a legal delivery is. Uh, I looked it up in the ICC regulations, not going to read it out in full, but just give you the summary points. It has to be overarm, unless it's been agreed upon before the game, between the umpires and the captains. Overarm, it's got to be straight arm. The back foot has got to be behind the crease and the ball can bounce no more than once and has to land pitch in the hitting zone. That's broadly the laws of cricket, of illegal delivery. Now, within this law, there is a great freedom. Think about cricket, if it's not a really disturbing, boring sport for you. Okay, this is to those who have a little bit of interest in cricket. Think about how many different deliveries are available for a skilled bowler and a skilled bowling attack across the whole team. Googlies, leg cutters, leg breaks, fast balls, beamers, yorkers, off cutters, left right outers. There's this wonderful freedom of delivery, of deliveries within a few laws. Well, the perfect law for us is the new law which is given by Jesus, which is fulfilled in him and by him. And as we live it out, we have freedom and blessed. Uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 8, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. This freedom comes when faith is lived out in obedience to Jesus. You see, wisdom is not just heard, it is performed. As God's Word is sown into our lives, it is to produce fruit. Our religion is corrupt when we fail to do God's Word. When our doing of God's Word is as minimal as my doing of ultramarathon running. When it's merely something that we used to do. We can maintain an appearance of it. We might look like we belong, still have running magazines on the coffee table and can talk about training programs, but are we running the long kilometres? In doing God's Word, are you putting in the long disciplined kilometres every day of listening to God's Word? and doing God's Word. Our religion is corrupt when we fail to do God's Word. The third warning that James gives us is a doing of God's Word that we really struggle with. Religion is corrupt when we fail to control our tongues. Preacher John MacArthur 
It tells a story of a famous Roman orator of ancient times and a young man uh, came to him because he wanted to be taught the art of public speaking. And this young man put forward his case for why this famous orator should give him attention because he was developing the skill of oratory himself that he was going to uh, uh, um, um, be like, he wanted to be like his master. Now when the famous orator got a chance to get his word in and at the point of discussing the fees... The famous orator said that he was going to have to charge the young man double. What? Why? And the orator said, because I'll have to teach you two skills. The first, how to hold your tongue. The second, how to use it. James says it like this in verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. One of the saddest and ugliest behaviours that I have seen in ministry is done with words. Meetings where Christian leaders, brothers and sisters, explode at one another with foul language and insults. I've been in those rooms. I was in one this week. It was horrible. Now, putting aside the magnifying glass and picking up the mirror, (laughs) some of what I'm most ashamed of is what has come out of my mouth. Not foul language. God, by His Spirit, has helped me to get a rein on that one. But there's anger and insult will come out at different times, which I might tend to brush over by calling it frustration. James here is not just talking about religion here of religious leaders, church pastors. James is talking about all of us, the doing of God's Word. I know that damage is done in our homes and our families and workplaces and in our communities because of how we use our mouths because of what comes out of them. Our tongues are like an out-of-control horse that needs a tight, tight rein. A youth pastor that I've worked alongside before had this wonderful phrase that she used to share very regularly with our young people, and it's just as good for old people. Taste your words before you spit them out. Isn't that a helpful little saying? I reckon James might have written down if he had a thought of it. Or if he was putting it into contemporary language. Taste your words before you spit them out. Our religion is corrupt 
when we fail to listen to God's Word, when we fail to do God's Word, and when we fail to control our tongues. Uh, Very quickly, I want to look at verse 27, where we see incorruptible religion, (laughs) what it looks like. Verse 27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh, We're going to unpack this in uh, more and more in the weeks uh, to come. But let me give you one thing to help us along in the subtle art of living well. One thing to keep us from corruption in our religion. Look in the mirror. Look at yourself in the mirror. Look in the mirror of God's Word. Some of us don't like looking in the mirror. Some of us don't like what we see when we we look in the mirror and some of us look in the mirror too much yet don't see what's truly there. Don't look into a filtered, photoshopped selfie. Honestly hold God's Word up to your life and see yourself as you truly are. When you look in the mirror, do you see the person that you want to be? Do you see the person that God has saved you to be? Do you see the person who is running the race of perseverance through trial? Do you see the person who is weeding out unrighteousness and and planting into their life the righteousness of God's Word? Let's just be really practical and specific with just a couple of groups of us. Young people, when you look in the mirror of God's Word, do you see someone who is loved by God? Do you see someone who is listening to God's Word more than you're listening to the tunes of the world? Do you see someone, when you look in the mirror, someone who is building muscle for serving Jesus for a lifetime? Do what you want to see in the mirror. Mature brothers and sisters. Do you see someone in the mirror who is rejoicing in God's steady goodness to you even through trial when it comes? When you look in the mirror at yourself, do you see someone who is enthusiastically spurring on younger people in the faith with every bit of energy that you still have? Do what you want to see in the mirror. Married men, do you see a prayerful man? 
who is gentle and tender with his wife, speaking peace and grace and God's wisdom into his home? Do what you want to see. Married women, do you see in the mirror a woman adorned with inner beauty through patience and contentment in Christ? Do what you want to see. And James says to us, verse 25, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed. They will be living well in the world. They will know God's goodness now and into eternity. 